You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. All right, so we just finished reading the book for Book Club by Christina Cleveland, God is a Black Woman, and thank you so much for Jen. Uh, to Jen for leading us through that. God is a Black woman is the title, which is a provocative title if there ever was one, right? But one should not understand Dr. Cleveland as saying that God is literally a Black woman and she can prove it, right? That uh, she's not making an argument about the actual gender and ethnicity of a supreme being somewhere as if God has a gender and ethnicity. Uh, obviously she knows God doesn't exist like that. In fact, I don't think she thinks of God as a being at all, but it would be equally as wrong to assume that she's really just an atheist who speaks insincerely of God in order to sell books. Both extremes are the wrong way to read her. She's not an atheist, nor is she a theist in the traditional evangelical sense of the word theist. In fact, she said recently in an an interview that she sees the entire cosmos as the body of God, which is a view called pantheism or panentheism. All is God or all is inside of God. And there's nothing actually new or unique or unchristian about that view. Many Christians over the centuries have held a view that's actually identical to that, or at least pretty similar. Such a view can be found in many other spiritual traditions as well, different uh, various forms of paganism and shamanism and other world religions like Hinduism. So she's not really saying anything radical or new when she says something like the entire cosmos is the body of God. That's not radical, actually. That's not new. That's not even unique. That's not even unchristian. But it's certainly radical and new to say you know, God is a black woman <laughs> in the context of evangelicalism, which worships what she calls, and rightfully so, the white male God. What is the white male God? Well, the white male God isn't just a God seen or the God seen through the lens of white supremacy and patriarchy, although that has a lot to do with it. But the white male God is a God who exemplifies and personifies the values of certainty, right belief, theological orthodoxy, uh, and personal piety and personal salvation. I knew this was going to happen. I love having the windows open, but you always got to compete with the street noise. The white male God values these things over and above social justice, love, liberation, the embrace of ambiguity, diversity of thought, and plurality. And that extends into both the theological and political realm. The white male God values these things over and above social justice, love and liberation because the white male God is primarily concerned about preserving social hierarchies, power, authority, and control. And again, that extends beyond just the theological and into the political and the social. So when she critiques the white male God, that's what she's really critiquing and when she talks about God being a black woman, or talks about what she calls the sacred black feminine, 
She's talking about love, liberation, justice, embracing uncertainty, embracing ambiguity, diversity of thought, plurality, these kinds of things. So that's basically what she's up to in her book. And my goal today and mention that isn't to you know, do book club up here necessarily, uh, even though that wouldn't be so bad. But what I want to focus on here today is how she's doing something much, much bigger than just thinking differently about God. The fact is she, like many of us, went through a profound deconstruction. She grew up Pentecostal like me, which is a very conservative, even fundamentalist version of evangelicalism. She went through a lot of deconstruction and now she's doing reconstruction. And the way she's doing it primarily, it seems to me, is that she's telling new and better stories now. She's telling new and better stories that she and others can find meaning in. She's found a way to harness her Christianity as a technology for self and collective transformation. Now, when we say the word, I know that sounds a bit strange to call Christianity a technology or any religion a technology, right? When we think of the word technology, we usually think of things like computers or machines. We don't think of something like religion or philosophy. But the definition, the, the simplest definition of what technology, a technology is, is a useful art or a useful craft. That's, if you looked it up online, that's what you'd find. Technology basically just means a useful art and a useful craft. And I think that's a great definition of what our spiritual traditions are. They are useful arts, are useful crafts in the endeavor of creating meaning and creating you know, collective and self-transformation. What's more important than crafting and creating meaning or crafting and creating things that help with collective and self-transformation, right? The problem is we can lose sight of all that in deconstruction. Deconstruction is a lot like chemotherapy or radiation therapy in that it can cure you of cancer and give you a new lease on life, but it can also kill you, so to speak. Too much chemo or too much radiation is as dangerous as the cancer itself. Now, that's not a perfect analogy, but it's close to what I mean. Deconstruction is a wonderful thing. Yes, it's a healing thing. It's a liberating thing. But if taken too far, it can easily rob you of any sense of spiritual vitality, any sense of connection to something bigger than yourself, something transcendent or sacred or divine. It can leave you feeling like a hollow shell of your former self. The solution, I think, is to do what Christina Cleveland is doing and what many are, others are doing. She's constructing new stories that work for her and others. Or she's taking some of the old stories and making them work because there's so much about them that's profound and meaningful and life-giving and liberating and healing. But to be clear, she's not approaching these old stories with the same naivete that she had before when she was a Pentecostal, an evangelical. She doesn't believe God is, a, is literally a black woman up there as if God has a gender and ethnicity, right? 
but it would be equally as wrong to say that she doesn't believe that there is something deeply meaningful and true about believing that God is a black woman. I know that's confusing. <laughs> so let me, let me explain how that might work by using an analogy. What she's doing is very similar to something called chaos magic. I don't think you'll find many churches that talk about chaos magic, but we're going to talk about chaos magic for just a moment here. Chaos magic is part of the wider New Age movement, resurgence of paganism in the West. Um, and it's a bit hard to define, but it basically teaches that one can alter themselves or alter their perceptions or alter their consciousness by engaging in religious beliefs and religious practices that on one hand, one knows are not real in the most wooden sense of the word real, but one still believes in as real and effective technologies that change perceptions, that change our consciousness, and thereby perhaps even change reality itself. It's called chaos magic because by embracing both belief and unbelief, one is mirroring or in embracing the innate chaos and contradiction that is found throughout nature. I don't know if you've noticed, but nature is full of chaos and contradiction and randomness and paradox and things like that. So by making oneself more in tune with that through spiritual beliefs and practices, whereby one embraces both belief and unbelief, one taps into the source of all creativity and possibility. Because chaos and contradiction are part of the creative and life-giving forces of the universe. Chaos is endlessly creative and innovative, just as much as it is also deconstructive and destructive. And so it's by finding technologies that help us embrace that, that we expand our consciousness and change not just ourselves, but perhaps even the world around us. Now, I know that's a little bit out there. And I'm not saying I believe it, but I'm not saying I entirely disbelieve it. <laughs> See what I did there? Think of this being like the placebo effect. It's a scientific fact that placebos work and work like 30% of the time, depending on you know, what, what they're supposed to be doing, specifically revolving around alleviating pain. Placebos work like 30% of the time. It seems we human beings need to trick ourselves, if you will, into unleashing the power of our unconscious. We need to find ways of bypassing the ego, bypassing the conscious mind in order to unleash the power of our unconscious. Or think of it in terms of a joke that Slavoj Žižek likes to tell and that I love to repeat here. You've heard this before. There once was a physicist who was asked if he really believes in the power of the horseshoe that he's hung above his front door, right? He's asked, do you really believe that horseshoe is bringing you luck or warding off evil spirits? And the physicist replies, of course not. What do you take me for? I'm a man of science. I don't believe in that nonsense, but I heard it works even if you don't believe in it. <laughs> this is precisely the way I think many of us believe now who have undergone deconstruction, right? In other words, we know the Bible is largely mythological. We know this, right? We've accepted this. When we know that religions, not just Christianity, but religions in general are human constructs, 
but we believe something about it works anyway. Thus, our unbelief, hear this now, our unbelief actually allows us to believe and believe on a deeper level. This is the dialectical dance between belief and unbelief. And dialectics is an important word to hear this morning or to understand. Dialectics or the dialectical means a coincidence of opposites, the interplay and the harmony that exists between things that are seemingly contradictory. Things like atheism and theism, belief and unbelief, deconstruction and reconstruction, chaos and order. These things exist in a kind of harmonious relationship, despite seemingly quite contradictory each other. This and understanding that the way, in fact, that they're like two sides of the same coin. Atheism, theism, belief, unbelief, chaos, order, deconstruction, reconstruction, understanding that is called dialectics. And it is, I believe, a mind expanding, a consciousness expanding understanding. It's a liberating and life-giving. It's almost like magic, I would say, in the way that it expands one's consciousness. So these things are actually deeply related and dependent upon each other. They're two sides of the same coin. Such a dialectical understanding of ourselves and reality itself bypasses the conscious mind and unleashes the power of the unconscious. And I think that's a big part of what Christina Cleveland is up to in her book when she says God is a black woman. And she talks about things like the sacred black feminine. Now, for those who are still confused by this idea, and who could blame you, uh, of how, how do we believe in that which we also know is fictional? How do we do that? I think it helps to know or to understand that you are already doing this all the time anyway. This is what it is to live in the world. We are living in an entirely fictional world. Consider this for a moment. And by that, I don't mean that we're living inside of an artificial simulation like the Matrix, although who knows, right? <laughs> but that's not what I mean, setting aside the sci-fi parts of that claim. We are living in an entirely fictional world. Think about it. What does it mean to be white? What does it mean to be black? What does it mean to be gay, to be straight? What does it mean to be masculine, feminine? What does it mean to be an atheist, a theist? a Christian, a Buddhist, a Democrat, a Republican, a conservative, a liberal, an American, a Peruvian. What does it mean to be human? We think of these monolithic identity markers as being grounded in something more real and true than just stories people came up with, but that's really all they are. They're just stories that became culturally agreed upon as meaningful and true. And I'm not saying that they're meaningless, untrue, or irrelevant, rather quite the opposite. I'm saying they're absolutely meaningful and true and relevant, but they are made up nonetheless. They are products of human imagination nonetheless. They are fictions. They are stories that we created to give our world structure to give our lives meaning and to help us negotiate life. 
So we are already immersed in a fictional world to begin with. We already believe in all these made up things, whether we know it or not, we do. Why not embrace the wonderful and meaningful stories of our spiritual traditions too, and allow them to speak to us and transform us in positive ways because they are uniquely powerful and able to do that, I believe. You know, when you're reading fiction, you don't have to keep reminding yourself you're reading fiction, right? You're just going with it. You're going with the story. And that allows you to be really open to the story, yes? Open emotionally, psychologically, whatever. And you can be moved, profoundly moved, moved even to tears while you're reading this made-up story. Why? How is that possible? Because what's happening to you is real because the story is real. A story becomes real, not when we've convinced ourselves that we're no, lo we're no longer reading or watching fi fiction. A story becomes real when it becomes meaningful to us, period, full stop. Stories are magical things. I believe that. Stories are magical things because they shape us and they shape the world. Why shouldn't we think of that as magic? Why shouldn't we think of storytelling as casting spells? I think that's exactly how we should think of it. I think that's the best way to think of it. Our religions and spiritual traditions are, are the best way to articulate what it is to live in story and to have our reality, our lives defined by stories. It is magic. It is casting spells. It does alter consciousness. It does alter reality. These stories we believe in and create and gather around and create community around. It absolutely is magic. These stories have immense power. They are powerful technologies of collective and self-transformation. Let's honor them as such. Let's see them as such. They are meaning-making systems, we might say, as well. Let's not lose sight of this. And I think that's really the heart, the real power of what Christina Cleveland is up to in her book. And when she says things like, God is a Black woman, she really means it. And I think we should as well. And who knows? Maybe our stories point to some metaphysical or transcendental reality that is rightly approximated in metaphors like God the sacred, the divine, the source, the one, the great spirit, Brahman, whatever you want to call it. Pick, if you don't like a certain metaphor, change the metaphor. Perhaps the reason why every culture since the dawn of humanity contains such stories is because we are intuitively aware of this presence, this transcendental imminent, emergent, whatever you want to call it, presence. And we tell these stories and have these traditions because we recognize transcendence when we see it. As conscious living beings, as transcendent beings ourselves, perhaps we know transcendence when we see it. And that's why these stories are so profound and powerful and meaningful. We recognize transcendence when we see it. At least I feel like I do. I hear these stories, practice these traditions. 
They're all ways of speaking, perhaps, of this deeper reality that we are intuitively aware of. I don't know. But I do know that we should not give up on our sacred stories. That much I feel like I know. Let's not deconstruct so much that we just throw them out and with them any sense of spiritual vitality, any kind of technology of collective and self-transformation. I think that would be so tragic, like throwing out precious works of art in a museum. These things that connect us to our past, to our humanity, and to something perhaps beyond or in the deeper levels of the fabric of the world we live in. I prefer to think of it like that. I think it would be really tragic to do away with those technologies, those things, those stories, those traditions. Instead, let's embrace these stories that work for us and let's create new stories like Christina Cleveland. Let's fashion new stories that again, function as technologies of collective and self-transformation. I think that's what she's up to and what she's inviting us into. And I wanted to share that this morning with all of us. And I think this is what Christ, Jesus of Nazareth was in fact inviting us into in this sacred, holy sacrament that we call communion. Here we find the story of Jesus's death and resurrection, perhaps the most meaningful story in Western history to this point, at least European Western history. This idea that here we find in these elements, God's body dismembered, deconstructed, scattered among us as bread and wine, and then received by us, reconstructed and remembered by us. Reconstructed, God is reconstructed in us. We become the body of Christ, the presence of God in the world. That's a story I think is worth believing in. That's the meaning of this story to me, the primary meaning, one of a few. <laughs> but that's the primary meaning of this story to me. Here we find God's body, deconstructed, dismembered, and scattered into, into bread and wine. And then we receive it, remember it, and reconstruct it into us. Let us partake in Holy Communion now. And Max isn't here, but we'll just have a moment of silent meditation. And you are invited forward to partake. Each episode of the Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion. such a good book, Jen. Thanks again for picking that out. I've been waiting to deliver this talk for weeks. I had prepared this like weeks ago and I was so excited to, to give it. Um, so thank you for inspiring me with that book. Thank you to Dr. Christina Cleveland. Maybe one day we can actually book her to speak here. I don't know. We'll see. But um, amen. Yeah, you'd like to <laughs> be cool, right? Um, all right. So I said a lot this morning dealing with 
you know, these ideas of believing in, you know, embracing both belief and unbelief, living in embracing stories that we know are kind of are fictional, but finding meaning in them anyway, and um, the dialectical, <laughs> which is a pretty intense idea, um, chaos magic, we talked about chaos magic, um, but yeah, anything goes, um, we can even do a little bit book club up here if you know if people want um reflect on that book itself um but what did i say today that raised questions or do you have a comment or yeah anything about the book itself anybody i think um one of the things that she really focuses on as the difference between white male god and sacred black feminine is that she is imminent she is god with us um she fa father sky god is transcendent he's out there somewhere away from us higher than us better than us so i think that's so important to focus on because she is with us in our pain she is with us in our you know our difficulties hardships she is there with us so i think that's the big difference is we don't we don't have to change to still have god with us we don't have to measure up to some un unachievable you know line for her to be with us so that's really powerful i think for a lot of us yeah me too and that is a transition going from thinking of god as beyond out there you know i like using the word transcendent because frankly a lot of us don't understand words like emergent or, or imminent as much but that's what i really mean is this idea of something that goes beyond our categories so when i say that god is transcendent um i'm not saying god is a supernatural being out there i'm saying that god goes beyond our categories but i believe as you do that there, that this here and now is divine, that this idea of God, the divine's presence is located here and now in the fabric of our lives, in the brokenness, in the joys and the sorrows and the difficulties and, and the wonders and all that, you know, but yeah, I love that. But that transition of going from God out there to God down here, that is difficult. It's not always easy to do. And that's reconstruction. That's deconstruction, reconstruction in a very quick little nutshell. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, somebody else have a remark question. Yeah, Jesse. I have lots of thoughts, but basing off of what you and Jen were riffing on, the the notion of returning to a corporeal, embodied rootedness in human life is a distinction, I think, in those contrasts of the ideas of God, because so much of Western Christianity has bifurcated corporeal life in favor of a possible afterlife. And so we're doing not only reconstruction, but re, uh, going back to the history of the origin of Christianity and Judaism as fully embodied and Judaism having this really rich history and notion of the here and now the present actions those are all so key because a significant portion of judaism doesn't believe in or doesn't really hold to tightly to 
a future afterlife, but is really rooted in the notion of here and now is where life is lived and God is present and we are challenged to be just, to be just and merciful and in, in acting. Um, my other, I mean, I have notes, but one of my other thoughts when you were talking about chaos theory is that chaos theory is simply that notion of um, like, like self-help notion of act it until it becomes real. So it's, we have this very simplistic notion of chaos, chaos magic or chaos theory in a lot of how therapy works and a lot of how self-help works. It's just that if you embody being successful, if you embody being confident that you're, the rest of the stuff will follow because you're enacting what is not present but will become present. Yeah, thanks for those remarks. Good stuff. Other thoughts? Yeah, Leanne. Yeah, so I was thinking about um, your comments, Aaron, about like, what is it? What is it actually to be feminine, masculine, black, white, American, etc.? Um, and I attended this workshop at a yoga studio back when I was in New York, and something that was presented to me, which I thought connected, was when you take a car, you look at a car, and you say that that is a car. If you were to take that car apart and lay all of the pieces on a lawn, you couldn't point to any one item and say, that is the car. And at what point when assembling those pieces, does it become a car? And I think that that's a really interesting way to think about the self, that we have this monolithic, I am this, I am that. But if you take apart its components comprising this statement, this notion, it's like, where does that begin and where does that end? So just something a little, it's like kind of like a koan. It's like a little bit of a mind bender, but I've been thinking about that analogy of a car of like these aspects of the self and of what we conceive to be ourselves or something else or what it means to be X, Y, or Z. It's not as monolithic as we think it is conceptually. So found that interesting. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. And definitely leads into those places. Yeah. Where we think about ontology, right? This, these questions of being, what does it mean to be? What does it mean to exist, to be human, right? How do we define those categories? It opens up all of that. And then we realize, well, these definitions of being, <laughs> these definitions of self are contrived and they're constructed and they're products of our imagination which can be both unsettling, but also really liberating and freeing and an invitation for our, you know, endless possibilities and creativity. And that's what, that can be wonderful. But the initial, at least in my experience, the initial experience of that revelation is like, <laughs> you know, um, you know, those who increase knowledge, increase sorrow. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter uh, two, you know, um, the more, you know, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, other thoughts about the power of story. I'm curious to hear if, you know, this idea of, of you know, embracing the power of story and thinking of story as kind of like magic. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but uh, 
a lot of storytellers in this room. This is a town built on storytelling and fabricating reality, which is to say creating real reality, you know? Um, this is a town of storytellers. Yeah. Are there any other remarks, thoughts? Yeah, Jesse, let's go again. <laughs> Well, when you start talking about story, I, I kind of was thinking about the negative aspects of story and how much we're seeing bad stories being told and, and capturing imagination and capturing harm so much. Um, and that made me think of like one of my research areas in cults. And the reason people don't like cults is because they're telling a different story that alters people's reality. And they're so people become so rooted in that what what technically is called the high control group because cults is a moniker and you you're not you're not supposed to use it as a religious studies major, um, but high control groups which can be political or religious or multifaceted like we see with QAnon that it's got a bit of religion a bit of politics and a bit of like weird conspiracy theory happening, um, but why one of the reasons it's so hard for people to leave these high control groups is because of how powerful the story and attachment theory is functioning in their relationship to the leader the storyteller the story crafter and I think that's something you know that we see both positively and negatively in our culture. And that's part of where we're starting to see people like Brian McLaren and Gareth Higgins, who are progressive Christians who have left evangelicalism, trying to tell better stories, trying to, to counter the, the, the harmful stories that have been told in evangelicalism. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? Okie doke. Well, let's conclude as we do usually, or always now, I guess, with our collective benediction that we say together. Let's say this now. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world and each other. Amen.